What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage the expectations. Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three. One. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not going to make the same mistake. I was not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. You'll never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Come on! Having any fun yet? Well, now that we're all sufficiently dizzy, let's, uh, let's jump in. So in our Now Playing series, we talk about the intersection of faith and film. We use films as sort of illustrations or launching points really to look at the scriptures and talk about how every good story ultimately can point us to the greatest story, to the story of the gospel of God and mankind. And so as we look at Top Gun Maverick today, so there are a ton of, there are a ton of themes that we could sort of fly over, right? I'm gonna land the plane on one of them. Um, I was really, I was pleased with myself, but hey. So the, I'm gonna land on one. The relationship between Maverick, right? The main guy, Tom Cruise character, and Rooster, right? So when the original film came out, like 187 years ago, right? Um, <clears throat> The original film had Goose, right, his wingman, which was Rooster's dad. Rooster is the young man with the glorious mustache. And so he, his dad, it looks just like him. They did a great job of tying those two uh, together. But his father, right, was killed in an accident flying with Maverick. And it doesn't seem like so much that as much as what, something that happened later. So, so he grows up and Maverick is sort of his surrogate father. And, uh, and something happens in the relationship. You kind of find out through the course of the film that as Rooster grew up, uh, it was his mother's dying wish that he kind of not go in the same route that his dad did. And so, and also Maverick looks at Rooster and this young man that he loves and he doesn't think that he's ready uh, to jump into the Naval Academy. So he pulls his application. As he's applying to follow that same route and be a pilot just like his dad, Maverick pulls his application without him knowing and when he, he finds this out later, he is furious. And what happens is it basically ruins their relationship. 
He, he is so angry with Maverick. You find when they first meet each other, you almost immediately sense this young man that he's angry about something. He's kind of bitter. He's explosive in his anger at times. He's trying to keep it down, but it comes out and it's ruined their relationship. They haven't talked in years. And eventually, as the film goes on, right, if you haven't seen it, you've had plenty of time, so I'm just going to ruin it for you, right? Uh, they reconcile. Uh, and honestly, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel, this sort of self-sacrificial love for one another. And they reconcile, but it got me thinking a lot as I watched the film and I saw the devastation of the relationship because of this unforgiveness and this bitterness. It got me thinking about those concepts and those themes of, man, when something has happened to you or someone's done something to you and it's wrong and you're angry about that, how, how do we forgive how do we not let that bitterness? Uh, Morgan and I were watching a film last night. This is something that seems to be on people's minds because that newer film, it was all about that, right? How this young lady's just being eaten alive by her bitterness and her desire for revenge. And it got me thinking about this concept just of bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. And how is it that we learn to truly forgive? And I'm just going to cut to the chase. I, I think we're going to talk about the rest of the morning on that. And I think for some of us here, my sense is for some of us here, this is eating you alive right now. That there is some unforgiveness and bitterness and anger inside some of us and things that we're holding on to. And it's killing you. And I really, it's ruining the relationships in your life. And I really believe that the Lord this morning wants to break some of those chains, free some people of that, and bring healing and forgiveness where there has not been yet. And so we're going to dive into his word, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 4, read a few verses from here. We'll also, if you want to keep a thumb somewhere else, Colossians 2 and 3 will be there as well. But Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians is talking to this church that's very spiritually gifted. They're eager to see God's activity. They want to see miracles. They've got great faith. They're experiencing the miraculous. And Paul basically tells them, guys, that's great. But if you don't love each other and bear with one another and forgive one another, if you don't love, he says, then none of this, none of this really matters. So he says, man, if you don't have love, none of this faith and the miraculous and all these things, he doesn't matter. He says, you have to love one another. And he goes on to describe, what does that love look like? What are some of those things entailed in that love? And it's just so we're clear, right? This is, some of us are like, wait, isn't this the marriage passage, right? Yeah, yes, but it's not primarily about marriage. It's actually about the way that God loves us and how that should shape and inform our love for one another. So he says this, starting in verse 4, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Great article by a guy named John Bloom where he talks about how patience, he said, we tend to think of that as just like, I can wait a long time for something. He says, that's one way that patient works. He said, this word though really is patience toward a person. A patient, so that the old King James, he references the old King James. The King James says it this way, charity, right? That's the old word for love. Charity suffereth long. Love is patient. That when you love someone, really the way that God has loved you. See, here's what it's saying. God suffers sinners like you and I, and he's patient with us. He's patient with our failings and our flaws. And he calls us then to be patient with one another. 
Love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. By the way, if you're hearing this and already you're feeling kind of overwhelmed, like, Kale, I don't know if I can do that. Like, this doesn't come naturally. No, it doesn't. What comes naturally is what you saw on the screen, right? Fighting and bitter and angerness and why in the world did you do that? And I can't forgive you. That's what comes naturally to us. My daughter this week, my oldest daughter, Allie, and then my second son, right, Leighton, um, they have a great relationship. But at times, right, they're in a little bit that like best frenemies stage, right, where you're both friends, and, and sometimes we'll, we'll be talking with Allie, and like, how was your day? And she's like, it was great. I played Go Fish with Mommy, but Leighton, right? And then she starts, well, I'm like, what does that have to do? And she starts recounting the things that Leighton, the ways Leighton wronged her, or that she perceived that Leighton wronged her. And that's what comes naturally for us, is to keep the list. But you don't know what he did or what she did. I'll come back to that here in a moment. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And the ESV, the English Standard Version, says it this way, love endures all things. Love endures all things. And that idea of enduring all things goes right along with the patience, right, from verse 4, that love is patient toward one another, and really hones in on verse 5. So so go back to verse 5, that this keeps no record of wrongs. That's where we're going to park our time for a while here. So the, the literal Greek of that is, right, as we think about love enduring long, enduring all things, love being patient towards one another, the literal Greek phrasing is this, that love does not count up wrongdoing. That love does not count up wrongdoing. One commentator said this, I think, so well. He said, it's a verbal picture of a bookkeeper who flips the pages of his ledger to reveal what has been received and spent. Love does not count up wrongdoing. The picture we're getting here is of a bookkeeper. So anyone, anyone know what a ledger is, right? Some of us know. Maybe I'm going to show you a picture here, right? This is a ledger from 1828, all right? Uh, now, we, basically, it's like a checkbook, Right? This is something a business, a bookkeeper would have, and you'd have your business. This is all done digitally now, right? That's why some of us have no idea what it is. But it's basically keeping accounts of here's what's been spent, here's the people who paid us, here's the people who still owe us, right? Debts and credits. And it's meticulously keeping track of all of it. You owe us this, and you owe us this, and you owe us this, and you owe us this. And listen, necessary for business, damaging for relationships. And once again, I'm just going to cut right to the chase. Some of us, we've got a moral ledger that we're carrying around with us. And it's just keeping track of all the, this is what she did, right? This is what he did to hurt me. This is what my parents did to hurt me. It was my kids did that hurt me. It's what my spouse is doing that's hurt me. And you see it maybe, it comes out. When conflict comes out, you whip the list out and you've got it right there. And it's recounting all the wrongs that have been done. And Paul is saying something to the Corinthians here and saying something to you and I about love. The way that God has loved us should then change the way that we love one another. Love doesn't keep the record 
of wrongs. But some of us, some of us are carrying that around with us and it's killing us. It's ruining our relationships, weighs us down. We're bitter and we're angry and we're not even maybe sure why. And for some of us this morning, it's, man, you're walking with Jesus, you love the Lord, and this is really just a matter of applying the gospel, of being re-gospeled in a sense and saying, Lord, I need help in this area. I need help to be able to forgive and to let this go, to let the ledger go. And for others of us, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you've never experienced this. We're going to talk about grace. And so you're saying, how? <laughs> I want to. I don't, and maybe you came in here this morning and, and this is the culmination of a process or maybe you're just starting out or maybe you're at the place of saying, I just don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be this bitter, angry person. I know it's ruining the relationships, but I don't know how to let it go. How do I, how do I move past this? How do I really forgive? How do I let the ledger go? Here's how. Now I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to make a general statement here and, and listen. Um, I've been doing this long enough that I know it's not just, hey, here's the simple statement. You tie it off with a bow and it's done. I get it. There are complexities to this. It's a process, right? Sometimes it takes time and more conversation, and that's okay. But what I'm about to say, I do believe, is at the heart of this. It's all across the pages of Scripture, and if we really can come to embrace it and get this, I mean, God can use this to set us free. You let go of the ledger by realizing that God let go of yours. You let go of the ledger by realizing and embracing and experiencing the glorious truth that God didn't hold your wrongs against you, but as we're about to see, he nailed it to the cross. Colossians chapter 2. This is at the very heart of the gospel. Colossians 2 verse 13 and 14. The reason that in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul can say, hey, love doesn't count up wrongdoing. How? Because <laughs> he says this in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, speaking to the Colossians, but also speaking to anyone and everyone who comes into relationship with Christ. He says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That's literal legal language. There was a debt, right? An account, a ledger of all your sin. And he says, God canceled it. The record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I have such good news for you today. Your sin, if you're in Christ, your sin is dead and gone. It's been nailed to the cross and left there forever. And you're set free. So what Paul is telling the Colossians here and why he looks at the Corinthians and tells them, man, love keeps no record of wrongs, is because that's what God did for us. He doesn't start with, here's something you need to do. You need to love others and let it go. He starts with, guys, God let yours go. God looks at you now and says, your sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. And the way he let it go is not by like a divine shoulder shrug where he said, you know, it's no big deal. He forgave it because he paid for it. Every sinful thought, every prideful moment, every selfish action, every hurt relationship where you look back and you go, it was my fault. I was wrong. 
every sinful thought, moment, action, word, Jesus came and said, I'm taking it on myself. I'm going to live the perfect life that you should have lived but couldn't. And then I'm going to the cross to pay for your sin. The death that you deserved and that I deserved, Jesus died in our place as payment to the Father. And God considers our debt wiped clean because of Jesus. He's taken our ledger and he's nailed it to the cross and he left it there. And so we have this record that just says free, clean, paid in full. And that's why then God looks at us as his followers and says, son, daughter, don't you see I wiped your slate clean. I didn't keep the ledger against you. I didn't count up the wrongdoings. I paid for it with the blood of my own son. You're forgiven. Now go and forgive. In fact, if you want just a pithy, memorable way, I mean, here's really the heart of this whole message. Loved people love people. And forgiven people forgive people. Loved people love people. And forgiven people forgive people. When you experience the love of God, truly, it changes you and transforms you to where you are enabled and empowered to love others the way that he loved. When you're forgiven by the Lord and you truly experience that, and I get it's hard sometimes. Morgan and I were talking about this this week where she said, you know, sometimes it's just, it's easy to feel like, yeah, yeah, thanks so much for forgiveness and all, but you don't know what they did to me. And honestly, if that's where you are, you're like, yeah, but their sin against me feels so much bigger than my sin against the Lord. You've got to dig into the word and say, Lord, help me to understand the seriousness of my sin so that I can understand the wonder of grace. And then as I experience the weight of grace, I look back at the things done wrong against me and I say, Lord, help me to forgive. You forgave me. I need to forgive. The question is, right, it's not, well, how can I forgive? In some ways, it's how can't we? If we've been forgiven all our sin, if Jesus, the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, shed his blood on the cross for us, if he nailed our debt to the cross, how can we hold the debt of others against them? And that's the consistent logic of the scriptures. The consistent line that's drawn is, hey, as we receive grace, offer grace. As God loves us, let's choose to love one another. In fact, we must. Let me just look at Colossians chapter 3. One chapter later after Paul just told them, guys, your debt's been paid. You're forgiven. He goes on and says this, Colossians 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. And listen, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. I'm going to say something, and this, is, this sounds um, probably the harshest moment, right? The hardest, let me lean into it. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness can take time. But for the believer in Christ, it's not optional. Paul just said, so also you must forgive. You can't say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to drag all this debt that I'm holding against others. We, we can't say, yeah, I know my debt's been forgiven. I love Jesus. Yeah, praise God. Or I'm forgiven. Are you going to forgive them? No. 
Jesus says, that doesn't make any sense. So the Apostle Paul's telling us here, those two things don't match. In fact, just keep going, right? Colossians 2, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As what? God in Christ forgave you. You could just keep doing this over and over. The Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Over and over and over, the line is drawn. As God forgives us, so we must also forgive one another. And it doesn't make sense to say, yeah, but I, no, I know I've been forgiven, but I, I just can't forgive. That's the point of Jesus' parable in Matthew 18. When he talks about this servant who's been forgiven $10 billion worth of debt, where he goes to the master and he says, oh, please be patient with me. That word's the same word from 1 Corinthians 13. Be patient toward me, master. And the master says, not only am I going to be patient towards you, I'm just going to cancel your debt. You're forgiven. Go home free. And Jesus says, the master what? Walks out there. I'm free. And then he looks over and he sees his fellow servant who owes him like a hundred bucks. And the guy says, oh, please be patient with me. Forgive me as you've been forgiven. And he chokes the man out and says, no, you pay me what you owe me. And you hear the story and, and you're like, that's ridiculous. No one would do that. And Jesus is like, exactly. But that's us. When we walk out of the throne room of God saying, oh, man, Christ has forgiven all my sin. I have eternity with him. I have an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, unspoiled. I'm God's son or daughter. And everything I've ever done in rebellion against God has been wiped clean. Praise God. Are you going to forgive your brother or sister? No. And Jesus is saying, what? As my follower, man, you, the slate is wiped clean. Forgive. Let the ledger go because God let yours go. He let mine go. And he tells us, son, daughter, your sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. And I don't see it anymore. And I love you. You're my child. You're a new creation. You can forgive. Let it go. Forgive. And I know it's hard. And I know it can take some time. And I'm not minimizing the seriousness of what someone has done to you. But in light of God's grace on us, we have to make the choice to say, Lord, because you've forgiven me, help me. God help me. I'm going to choose to forgive and let the ledger go. And I'm telling you, if you will make that choice today, if you will choose to forgive based on God's forgiveness of you, if you will choose to love and say, I'm not going to keep the list of wrongs anymore. I'm going to let this ledger go based on the fact that God paid my debt. I'm not holding it against someone else. It will transform your life. Some of us will leave here today. You're like, I just feel lighter. <laughs> I feel like there's this burden gone. You make that choice in obedience to the Lord as a result of his grace and you'll see God's power unleashed in your life in a way that you never have before as you walk in obedience to him. You're going to find, like, I'm becoming more patient with other people. Why? Because I'm walking with the God who is patient toward me. I'm becoming less irritable towards others. And listen, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not talking about we're never going to get angry again. But you'll find, like... I, 
I don't feel like the pressure cooker anymore that's just ready to explode at any moment. I'm not driving around, right, honking four times at the person who cut in front of me and flipping them the bird, right? Like, it's not, there's something changing. That happened to me the other day, actually, right? It's, uh, <laughs> there's something changing inside of me. I'm becoming more patient and less irritable. Why? Because I'm walking with the God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he's transforming me to be more like him. And listen, church, will you just imagine with me for a moment? Could you imagine what would happen if we become increasingly a people marked by that? Patience, less irritable, kind, not holding the record of wrongs. Especially in, in a culture such as ours where people seem just frankly angry all the time and offended by everything. And everyone, it just seems like the anger is simmering right underneath the surface for almost everyone. How might that impact our community and point people toward the gospel to say, hey, what's going, where do you find this peace and this patience and this ability to forgive? And we say, well, it's not anything about me, but let me introduce you to Jesus, <laughs> my Savior, the one who paid my debt. We forgive because he forgave us. Now, let me close. I'm going to just close out here in a few minutes by addressing a few things. So a few practical things, um, maybe some objections that might come up to this, and, and I think maybe even some important distinctions, things to hold in tension here. Um, I don't have these on the screens, but you're welcome to write them down if you want. One, choosing not to keep a record of wrongs doesn't mean you never address the sin or the hurt. Okay? So this is a key distinction. Yes, the, the Proverbs, the scriptures tell us that it, love covers a multitude of wrongs and that it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. If you go around in your life addressing every single time someone offends you, one, you'll be miserable. Two, you'll never get everything, anything done because you'll just be constantly, right, addressing offenses. But there are times. Matthew 18 talks about it, right? If your brother or sister sins against you, like, go to them. And let's just be honest. I've done it. You've done it. Too often we talk about them rather than talking to them. One of the first people, if not the first person to know they hurt you, should be the person that hurts you. <laughs> Go to them. If there's been a rift in the relationship in such a way that you're, this person has sinned against me, and it takes wisdom and prayer to say, Lord, is this one of those times that I overlook the offense? Or is this a time where I just go to them and say, hey, but, but as you go to them, I'll say, I think it's crucial. Pray for the right heart in that. If you're going to them to say, I want to let you know how much you stink, right? I want to let you know how much you hurt me just for the sake of letting you know. The goal should be reconciliation and restoration. But go to them. Some of us, that's the application point for today. You're going to walk out of here and you're like, Kale, I need to go have a conversation with someone. I've been holding on to something maybe for years. And listen, you, like, you pray through that. You pray for their heart. Those conversations are hard. They're not easy. But they can be beautiful. And they can be wonderful examples of the gospel. Don't let it fester. Don't let it get to the place of Rooster and Maverick where years later a relationship that was once close has now been fractured to the point of we don't even speak to each other anymore. Go to them. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that I'm just never going to address anything. Forgiveness is 
Yes, releasing the bitterness, choosing to forgive, and sometimes it means going straight to them and just talking with them. Now, secondly, connected to number one, forgiveness does not always result in reconciliation. Forgiveness does not always result in reconciliation. The ideal scenario here is someone apologizes. (laughs) They hurt you. They apologize. You say, man, I forgive you because Christ forgave me. I forgive you. I love you. And and we're never going to talk about this again. It's over and done with. And there's reconciliation there and full restoration of the relationship. That does not always happen. That's why the Apostle Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes you don't get the apology. Sometimes you just get the explanation. Well, here's why I did what I did. And you have a choice in that moment of, I can hold on to this, carry it around with me. But I don't think that's the way the Lord wants us to live. Sometimes the conversation can't happen for a variety of circumstances or reasons. Sometimes you don't get the apology, but you still have a choice to make in that moment. I can hold on to this or I can choose to let it go based on what the Lord has done for me. I'm going to let it go. Don't, don't give that person that power in your life. Or because they refuse to forgive or ask for an apology or they refuse to acknowledge the wrong, somehow you now have to walk around with carrying the bitterness and the anger. You don't. Don't give them that power. Jesus, right, dictates your life and my life. And he says, man, I've forgiven you. Just choose to forgive. What if they don't, what if they don't apologize? What if they hate me? What if they're my enemy? Well, what does Jesus say? You've heard it said, love your friends, your neighbors, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. You say, God, how is this possible? How, I mean, how? In love, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, Romans 5 tells us, God loved us and sent his son for us to reconcile us. It's only when we experience that kind of love that it enables us then to love and forgive others. But forgiveness doesn't always result in reconciliation. And number three, forgiveness is not not caring about justice. And this is a really important one. Forgiveness doesn't mean you don't care about justice. I think sometimes the holdup we have is, Kale, if I let go of the ledger, do they just get away with it? <laughs> it's wrong. Right? Am I supposed to just shr- shrug, my, shrug my shoulders and say, it's fine, no big deal? No. Because two things are going to happen here. Right? And listen here. To, someone has wronged you. Two things is going to, one of two things will happen. Either that person will come to a place of repentance and they will be forgiven by the Lord Jesus just as you were forgiven by the Lord Jesus and just as I was forgiven by the Lord Jesus and that would be wonderful. <laughs> Praise God, they'll be reconciled to the Father and likely they'll come apologize to you. <laughs> or they're going to continue in that sinful pattern in rebellion against God and that's a terrifying thought. And honestly, should not lead us to say, I hate you. I, I talked to a guy this week who said, Kale, this guy in my life, like, I used to hate him. He said, now I just feel sorry for him. I pity him because I watched the destruction of his life. Nothing gets swept under the eternal rug. Nothing. God is a just God. He punishes sin. But he's also a merciful God. And for those who've experienced his mercy... 
our desire should be, Lord, be merciful. And I know that nothing gets swept under the eternal rug. I'll finish with this. I got an email uh, a couple of weeks ago. Just if we're sitting here wondering, right, is this really possible? I mean, can I, it's been years, right? I've held on to something. Can I really get to the place where I can let the ledger go? Got an email from a lady in our church and she said, hey, this moment in my life came actually a year ago. I've kind of held on to this. And so she was emailing uh, Paul from our Marian campus and myself. And she said, I just want to let you guys know. She, she talked about, she said, growing up, I had a, a hard relationship with my dad. And she said, I found myself kind of hiding a lot, afraid of his anger. And growing up, I kind of craved his approval and I never felt like I really had it. And there was just some unforgiveness there. She's like, I didn't know God. We didn't go to church and I didn't ever really hear him talk about God unless it was putting the fear of God in me. And, and so this, this unforgiveness was in her that she only thinks she fully knew and understood. And she said, as I started coming right here and I'm learning the gospel and I'm starting to walk with the Lord, things are beginning to change. And then she said, about a year ago, Kale, you got really sick and couldn't preach. And so I was like, moral of the story, right? Just get out of the way, Kale, right? And so there was a Sunday morning where I was supposed to preach and my voice was so shot. I basically looked at Paul and said, hey man, uh, you're on. Good luck, right? Here's my manuscript. And he was like, okay, right? And he gets up here and he's like, Lord, help me. And he started sharing impromptu. He was like, man, I just feel led to talk about my relationship with my dad. So he shared the gospel in the context of his testimony and his relationship with his dad and coming to this place of trying to forgive. And she said in her email, she said, look, as you talked about your relationship with your dad, it came full circle for me. And she said, I started to experience the love of God and understand it. And she said, I suddenly felt lighter and had an understanding of God's true love for me. And then she said this, with help, I've gotten to the point of forgiving my dad. And she talked about how excited she is to see the impact that has not only in her life, but in her marriage and on her children. It is possible. We can forgive. But only by experiencing the wonderful, glorious, unconditional love and forgiveness of our Father. And when we experience His grace, it empowers us to offer grace to others. Let me pray for you. Father, I know this is not easy. And God, I recognize there are some here um, who just talking about this brings up hard feelings. So I just ask for grace this morning. And Father, as we take a moment to pray, I ask that you would speak to each one of us right where we are. God, for some of us, we've never experienced your grace. And if that's you this morning, I hope you will take this moment right now just to pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to start that relationship with you today. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again, to pay for your sin. He is offering you grace. Receive it today by faith. And I promise as you experience that grace, you will find that it transforms you and enables you to offer grace to others where it's undeserved. Father, for some of us, we've been walking with you a long time and it's just a matter of applying the gospel to this area of our lives. Lord, forgive us for holding on to the ledger. For some of us, it's in our marriage. 
And it's driving us apart because there's this constant list of wrongs. For some of us, it's with our parents. And we might need to go have a conversation. For some of us, it's with a friend. And we feel betrayed. And Father, you see all of that. You know what it's like to be betrayed by one that was close to you. And yet, even on the cross, Jesus, you said, forgive them for they know not what they do. God, will you give us that kind of heart? Lord, I'm asking that you would break some chains for people this morning. And you would empower people to release that bitterness this morning and to let go of the ledger and be free. I want to give you just a second to pray. Just a minute here. And if that's you, And you need to say that to the Lord. Ask him, God, give me the grace this morning. Give me the strength to let this go. To be free of it. Because I don't want to live this way anymore. Father, we love you, and we thank you that you nailed our debt to the cross. May we let go of the debt to others. May we love and forgive as you have loved and forgiven us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.